This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. It is time for the Mayor's Town Hall. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is with us here in studio. Uh, first of all, good morning. Good to have you back with us again. Good to be back. Seems like we were here just yesterday. So <laughs> time goes fast, uh, doesn't unless it? Unless you did one of these in Bogota. No, 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 no it wasn't yesterday, but it seems that way, yeah. <laughs> Interesting couple of days that are going on here. We're going to get into some of the municipal issues right now. But now, now that I've got you in studio, I had Chris Murray, the city manager, on the show yesterday mm-hmm. uh, talking about, I guess, the early part of his strategy about this Amazon bid. Yep. Uh, this is something that's starting to catch some momentum now. Yeah, and, uh, here and, uh, you know, in many places throughout North America, clearly. But yeah, well, uh, yeah. for Hamilton, uh, you know, we're I think we're well-situated and well-placed to, uh, to be successful in this. And uh, I think what we ought to put our best foot forward. Uh, we've got a lot of assets, uh, certainly transportation networks, uh, the Hamilton International Airport. Uh, you know, you, che- you do the checklist. We check off most, if not all, in terms of the criteria that they're looking for. So it's a matter of uh, pulling uh, pulling the resources and uh, some money together to be able to put together a credible bid that uh, not only speaks to, uh, you know, the potential for Amazon, but gives us an opportunity to also show, showcase Hamilton in, uh, in a significant way in North America. I think uh, we ought to take the opportunity to get that kind of free advertising as we go through this process. So we're certainly going to put uh, our best foot forward on this. Uh, I think it's an important objective. If it lands anywhere in Ontario, uh, there's going to be spillover benefit for you know all Ontarians, quite frankly. I mean, this is a major, major investment. And if it were to happen in Ontario, that would be great. But we need... Clarity from the federal government in terms of what they're prepared to provide any Canadian city that's uh, prepared to step into this. And, I talked to and the Chris same, about that and the same from uh, same from the province. We need we need clarity from them as to what they're prepared to put on the table in terms of incentives. But they're not going to they're not going to commit to any city. I mean, they, if there's a Canadian city that becomes a front runner, I'm sure they'll jump on board. But they're not going to pick Hamilton over Toronto or Toronto over Ottawa or Montreal or anybody else. Not at this stage, anyway. Well, I would hope not. I would hope not. And uh, you know what? Uh, I Mind you, they've done it before. Well, they they have. And you know, Toronto's going to Toronto's going to bid, and they're going to bid in a big way. And you know, I, I don't I don't I don't think there's any reason why we couldn't compete with that. We have uh, the same kind of assets and resources. In fact, I would argue that uh, you know our quality of life issues are probably better than they uh, they would be in Toronto in terms of accessibility and. The ability for people to move around the community, and the fact that um, you know Google or uh, Amazon would be a you know a, a, a certainly a big city builder in Hamilton, and wouldn't be so much of that in Toronto. So Toronto's got so much uh, already going on that they're they're, they're just going to be another add on to what's already happening in Toronto. Uh, in Hamilton, I think it it is a much much bigger deal, and would make a uh, a much more transformational uh, you know investment here in the city. What about the idea of, of a regional bid? Um, and and I, I don't want to start drawing the parallel with the Pan Am Games, but, I mean, that was. I know they called it Toronto 2015, but, I mean, it was a regional bid because Hamilton benefited from that. Uh, so did Milton, so some other areas, not just the city of Toronto itself. Uh, that brings you up population-wise if you were to incorporate something like KW, for instance, and some of the expertise they've already got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that make a, a more enhanced bid? Are you open to having that sort of discussion, or is this going to be Hamilton only? Well, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, the, we, we've got uh, Niagara positioning to put in in, in their bid. Uh, I think Kitchener Waterloo with may very well have hung their hat with uh, with Toronto. Um, you know, they're uh, they've they've kind of taken ownership of, even though we're very much included. Uh, they seem to want to suggest that uh, it's a Kitchener Toronto or Kitchener Waterloo Toronto Tech Corridor, and so we're we're in the middle of that. We are very much part of that. McMaster is, but it's certainly not uh, you know accepted on both ends of the Toronto Kitchener Waterloo areas. <clears throat> so I would say 
There may be some challenges in having a regional bid. Um, I know that Markham, uh, Brampton, Toronto have partnered up. Uh, I would think that we could partner up with uh, Brantford, or Brantford and Burlington and, uh, you know, Grimsby. And I, th- I was hoping that uh, on preliminary discussions that we would be partnering up with Niagara on a, on a kind of a collective bid for the Niagara-Hamilton region, as we have done in our economic development uh, drive. But they've now decided through uh, Niagara Falls to partner up with uh, Buffalo. So I think there's going to be lots of competition. Uh, I see no reason, though, that we uh, shouldn't be part of it. Are we even on their radar? Uh, and I know this is early times right now, but there seem to be an awful lot of American cities right now. And, and when you got the president uh, who's still going off, I guess he's going to make a speech today at the United Nations about, you know, America first and, you know, not going to li- have any jobs leaving here right now, that you would think that uh, that the American cities, and there's a lot of them right now that seems uh, to have shown an interest here, mm-hmm. are going to be way up at the top of the list, Canadians way down at the bottom. Well, that really depends on, uh, you know, the perspective of Amazon. And you know that uh, many companies, many corporations in the United States have uh, have, have rallied against the kind of uh, immig- anti-immigration approach that the current Trump administration has taken. Uh, they've all taken a strong position against DACA, which is the uh, the removal of, uh, of children of uh, illegal immigrants. Um, so there's a there's a quite a quite a, um, a backlash against the Trump administration, and I think that backlash uh, works in in favor of Canada, that uh, obviously has a much more stable you know financial uh, government uh, environment today, and is certainly open to immigration. And I think in many respects, immigration is going to be important for anyone that lands this. Uh, that the the knowledge base that is going to be required here to employ fifty thousand computer engineers is probably going to be bigger than any municipality, quite frankly, and you're going to be pulling people in from around the world to actually house this and staff this. So your immigration policy is going to be very important. And certainly, currently, the Trump administration does not have a immigration-friendly uh, environment that they've created in the United States. I've also been told uh, that uh, from people who know a lot more about business, especially business down in the States, uh, that uh, the the brain trust that runs Amazon right now are, big, are not big fans of Donald Trump to begin with, uh, and have gone public and, and said that too. So it, I guess it wouldn't surprise me if they did thumb their nose at them, but there's going to be an awful lot of pressure for them to, to locate down in the States right now. Well, there's that. I mean, and you know, these, these organizations are now global organizations. They're not, uh, they're not uh, just America-based. Uh, they're, they're selling product around the world. Amazon certainly more than anyone uh, is sending product around the world, and they you know they have a global perspective. So I don't think uh, I don't think that excludes Canada from being in the running here in any way, shape, or form. And in fact, if you look at where Amazon is now on Seattle on the West Coast, you would think it would make some sense that the East Coast of the United States and Canada would be a uh, you know potential candidate. So we kind of fit right into that category. Let's, let's talk about the physical aspect of this right now. Do mm-hmm. we have serviceable land? I mean, that's the phrase we always use in economic development, that if they said, yeah, you know what, it's you guys. Uh, Shovel-ready land? Yeah, we do. And uh, it's just a matter of defining where, where they are and making sure that we have the kind of volume that they, uh, they would be looking for. They're not necessarily looking to have it all in one place. So uh, that, that then kind of aligns to different pockets of land in different places. If you look at the Seattle campus, there's about 20 buildings, and they're not all clustered together. They're all spread out around throughout Seattle. So yeah, we have the space. Uh, we ha- we currently have a great opportunity, I think, in in terms of repurposing the uh, the U.S. steel lands into a, a different kind of uh, you know uh, uh, employment environment, and uh, that's certainly a great city building opportunity and and contiguous to a great port 
not far away from an airport, uh, on the major road and rail networks. Uh, I think that's a given opportunity. And uh, if there's the appropriate incentives in place to remediate those the lands that need to be remediated, I think this is a, would be a great opportunity. We also have the Tiffany uh, Barton Street lands that we initially acquired for uh, for a stadium, and uh, that's certainly available. And, you know, I wouldn't dismiss the notion of a bigger play like the CN lands that we've long talked about as, uh, as a development opportunity, which is easily serviceable, uh, mostly serviced, actually, in fact, uh, if you think about where it is. Uh, it wouldn't take much to kind of finalize that. So I, I think there's lots of opportunities, including, and not to exclude, uh, the, you know, the Airport Employment Growth District, which is on its way to getting service. And I would think that this kind of a project, probably five to six to seven years out in terms of its full rollout, uh, if if we were to be successful, we certainly could service uh, sufficient lands there to make that work. Well, that could serve as a catalyst. I mean, to, just to go back not too far into the Hamilton's history, uh, when a previous government, I think it was Larry Deany was mayor at the time, uh, uh, when they cut a deal with the provincial government about expediting the servicing for the, which is now the Red Hill Business right. Park. And right. uh, uh, look at how quickly that developed as soon as they did that. Yeah, and, and you know, it doesn't uh, doesn't take a lot other than resources, monetary resources, to actually make it happen. So, uh, you know, we can, we can begin to, uh, we have started the process of servicing those lands, but they're not, uh, you know, they're not fully... All of the lands, and there's a lot of land there. I mean, we're uh, almost 1,500 acres of, no, 500 acres, sorry, of land there that, uh, you know, we're not going to service all at once, but service as the, the need need arises going into the future. So I think there's lots of opportunity, including numerous downtown spaces and former industrial sites and warehousing locations that have been sitting empty or underutilized that all could be turned into, uh, you know, new high-end uh, buildings for, for this kind of a use. So I think there's plenty of opportunity in Hamilton. Let's talk a little bit about what has gone on and, and the identity of Hamilton right now. Uh, 20 years ago, this never would have even happened. Uh, you know, if, if Hamilton was the way it was then, now, uh, being a, basically a, a one-trick pony, we were in a manufacturing town, and that was starting to wane a little bit. We've diversified. Uh, uh, economic magazines now say that we're the most diversified economy in the country right now, the mm-hmm. best place in which to invest uh, in the country for new businesses right now. Does that sort of stuff, uh, does that drift all the way over to Seattle? Do they hear about that in, in the business world? Well, we're going to make sure they do. That's, that's our challenge is, uh, you know, make sure that we put together a bid and, and a marketing strategy that talks about what, what Hamilton is today, not what Hamilton used to be. Any perceptions that they might have of Hamilton from the, the past or should be long gone, but our, what, what we shouldn't assume that, that uh, the world knows. And, and this is our opportunity to let them know that Hamilton has transformed that we're open for business, that we have lots of opportunity and a varied, uh, varied array of different uh, technologies and and uh, uh, employment concerns. So, uh, you know, uh, that's our challenge now is to not only put a credible bid together, which, you know, again, we'll, we'll take some resources. I mean, you don't do this without some money and some 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 talent coming together and putting uh, putting their ideas and thoughts and specific data on on paper. But also having a marketing strategy to go along with that that says Hamilton is a different place, diversified economy that uh, used to be the engine of, uh, of uh, manufacturing and is now the engine, engine of diversified innovation and technology uh, ideas uh, working very, very well here in, in the city of Hamilton. Chris Murray yesterday talked uh, in our conversation, Mr. Mayor, about putting a team together uh, to go on this project. You don't have a whole lot of time here right now. Do you have the expertise in this city? Do you have the people in the business world that you can tap on the shoulder and say, hey, I need you here to do this? Because uh, you've had that in the past. You've had those business connections uh, that have opened doors for you in other areas. 
uh, whether it's Fraunhofer or some of the other stuff. You just went down to Columbia, of course, mm-hmm. and I know there's some business connections there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Lee Chin and others have been extremely helpful in opening other doors in the past. Uh, do, do without mentioning names because I know that this is these are confidential discussions at this time right now. Are you confident that you have the people that can come together for a Team Hamilton approach to this? Yes. Um, you know, we have many institutions that, uh, you know, would, would benefit from this, uh, and not to mention the, you know, McMaster and Mohawk that uh, obviously would be a training ground for the kind of computer engineering that uh, was going to house these facilities. So there's plenty of interest, plenty of uh, benefit to be had by all that uh, might concern themselves or participate in this. Uh, we, we are, we're going to reach out and have reached out to, uh, to many in the community that, uh, that, that, uh, ought to participate either financially or otherwise in terms of pulling something together. At the same time, uh, we have internal expertise that can put, uh, you know, a, a significant amount of, uh, of the package together, but we also need financial, uh, you know, expertise to come and cost these things and make sure that we have all of those issues sorted out. We've done that with the U.S. Steel location. We had a pretty robust team put together. Many of the people that the province, in fact, actually uses to do their financial assessments and financial forecasting. So uh, we'll pull some of those people into this process and make sure that uh, we, we get as good as we got for the resources we have in place. Uh, from Gabe at bkelly900chml.com, Amazon and other online companies and uh, President Trump have expressed dismay at how items purchased via online by Canadians are subject to taxes and tariffs. Uh, NAFTA could be a factor in this as to whether or not they're going to locate. Is that, is that part of this discussion? Um, you know, NAFTA is part of the federal government's discussion for sure. I mean, I don't know that uh, it should factor into our thinking. I, I think NAFTA is going to land, uh, you know, much more, uh, you know, conveniently than uh, than might be uh, believed. I think you see the president of the United States, the current president, already backing up on a lot of, uh, you know, campaign promises that he made that uh, aren't coming to pass because reality is setting in. So, and the reality is that uh, for many states in the United States, uh, we are their biggest trading partner. And to start down the path of changing or undoing NAFTA, I think is going to hurt them uh, significantly. And I think that realization is now coming to bear. So, I don't think it's bad at all that you look at NAFTA and, and see what's working and what isn't working. But to to suggest that NAFTA is going to be un, uh, overturned or turned out, turned turned away or or dismissed or t- or uh, you know uh, what what what's the term the president used? Tear it up. Uh, tear it up. Yeah. Uh, terminated. That's what he used. Turn. That's the word I used too. Uh, terminated is uh, you know very 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 unlikely. So is there going to be some balancing in all of that? Probably. Uh, you know every five years we should probably look at it and see if there's <clears throat> any adjustment that needs to happen. This is as good a time as any to do that, but certainly it's not going to go away anytime soon. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Mayor's Town Hall, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is with us here in studio, and uh, we'll go to your calls in a couple of minutes. Uh, one other project that uh, that you were supportive of, Mr. Mayor, and I just want to touch on this briefly, mm-hmm. uh, because Council did deal with it at their last session, was uh, the potential, of course, for bidding for the Commonwealth Games, the 100th anniversary Commonwealth Games. Uh, actually, uh, we thought it was going to be a closer vote than it turned out to be. A few people that initially uh, sided with it at the committee level uh, changed their minds and, yeah. and kind of backed away. Is is this bid fatigue that's affecting the city right now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, and I, you know, I understand that to a degree. I mean, we certainly went through that through the Pan Am process. There was kind of a, a leeriness to get involved. But, uh, you know, once it was spread out to, you know, other municipalities, it was much more of a, a doable 
approach. And when the province uh, put their kind of marker on it, uh, that changed the entire environment. So, uh, you know, we, we weren't able to get to that point. And, uh, you know, I think that's unfortunate, but I understand the, the, uh, the skepticism. But at the same time, uh, you know, we should be making these decisions with all of the information uh, in front of us, and we never got that opportunity. So we don't know if the province or the federal government were uh, pre- prepared to help and assist with this kind of a bid. We don't know whether, uh, you know, McMaster or others were interested in uh, funding, uh, you know, a new aquatic center. We don't know, you know, all of the, all of the issues around, uh, you know, what, whatever a bid is and whatever the legacy gets left behind. We have no idea at this point. So... Unfortunately, uh, that's off the table for the rest of this council term. Uh, we'll see what happens next year. That term. doesn't this slam is, the door, does it? It doesn't slam the door. Uh, you know, 2030 is what we're talking about. So this is, a, you know, planning well in advance. And I would say that, uh, you know, I believe that had Hamilton have said uh, we're interested, not committed, but we're interested, that that would probably have led it to, uh, to a non-competitive bidding process because of the emotional tie that uh, the Commonwealth Games and Commonwealth has in terms of where it all started, which is right here in Hamilton back in 1930. So, you know, we've bid on a number of different Commonwealth Games in the past with uh, some expense and a whole lot of community involvement. Um, and, you know, not to have to go through that uh, would have been, I think, a great benefit. But having said that, uh, we are where we are. So, you know, if, uh, if the next council decides they want to get back into it, it will probably be a competitive process once again, and we'll bid for it uh, if, if we get to that point, and we'll see what happens. But hopefully, we will make a decision at some future date with, uh, you know, a lot of information in front of us exa- other, than, other than, yes, we had it in 1930, and yes, that there is cost associated, but never really talking about what the benefits are. I, I mean, I talked to some counselors off the record about this, and, and some of them use that phrase, you know, bid fatigue, that, oh, you know, we just went through this stuff with Pan Am, and, and then they said, well, you got LRT coming, and you don't want to be tearing the city up for that, and then this as well. And I said, well, that's really apples and oranges, mm-hmm. uh, because the LRT time frame, I mean, by the time the, the, the Pan Am Games, the 100th anniversary Commonwealth Games, rather, came around, uh, the LRT is already going to be up and running and, and old-fashioned, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so that's that's not really a factor. We'll be working on phase two. Yeah, exactly, yeah. which is be going to be probably heading up to the airport anyway. So, right. the, uh, so I, I just got the sense that they, they just maybe just don't want to get involved in something like this. And, and maybe the the carrot at the end of the stick is what was missing in this. I mean, when the initial, well, they're called the British Empire Games were held back in those days. The first one was here in Hamilton. Uh, the 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 leftover, the residue of that was, was a new stadium, which we called Civic Stadium for the longest time, then mm-hmm. Ivor Wynn Stadium, mm-hmm. and the Jimmy Thompson Pool. Right. Uh, those were two of the main elements. There were others as well, obviously, but uh, I guess the question they are asking is, well, if we did that again, if this was going to happen, what's the legacy? What do we what do we get out of this? What's the infrastructure? We already have a stadium. I'm not even so sure if the stadium would actually fit with what the Commonwealth Games wanted, but there's lots of other stuff that would be, I think, necessary to put a Games on. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the biggest one is actually an aquatic center. So, uh, you know, we, we can retrofit the stadium for uh, for a track. I think that's not a, that's not a huge problem. <clears throat> so that... Uh, uh, you know, the stadium is there. The stadium's new. We don't need to build a new stadium. So that's done and passed. A good legacy out of uh, a cont- or participation in a games that uh, that left legacies all around, you know, the Golden Horseshoe. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we have a lot of what it takes. But, uh, you know, the HAAA grounds were part of, uh, you know, the Empire Loyalist games back in the day. Yeah. 
And, and so, uh, you know, those legacies have endured for, you know, the last hundred years. Uh, that's a, that's a long lasting, uh, you know, benefit to the community that, uh, gets major, major use. So an aquatic center was really the one area that, uh, that has long been, uh, you know, op- uh, uh, wished for. And McMaster has always been the one that said, you know, if, if that's possible, we're prepared to fund all, all, if not, uh, some, if not all, of that cost uh, in partnership with other levels of government. And so uh, that would have been a potential that uh, would have been, I think, particularly positive for the city. But it's off the, off the table right now, so we'll see what happens in the next term of council. And for now, but for, and for the listeners' sake, uh, logistically, uh, a new council is not bound by old council decisions. Correct. So they, I mean, can, they can revisit they just, can. just about anything. Uh, and we can revisit this issue if we dis- decided to with a two-thirds majority vote. But, uh, you know, based on the vote that was had here, I don't think there's much appetite to go there. And I, I wouldn't bring it back to the table, quite frankly. I think uh, let's let's we, uh, we do have other projects on the table. We do have lots to work on. Um, this would have been uh, an easy one for our staff to compile information on, notwithstanding. But uh, you know what? We'll move on with other other great projects that we're working on and bring them to fruition. What would it take? Let's let's go down that road from the, the that that standpoint for just a second here. Mm-hmm. Uh, would it take a a, a, a councillor to reintroduce this me- if they wanted to do this in the next term, or or would you rather hear an expression of interest from somebody else, like uh, like the Canadian Committee or the Commonwealth Games themselves, to say, "Hey, do you guys want to reconsider?" I mean. Would would that be a catalyst for that kind of a conversation? Yeah, I, I think so. It could go either way. I mean, uh, you know, th- you don't need to reconsider anything in the next term of council. You just bring it to the table. So if uh, the Commonwealth Games organizers were to come to the city of Hamilton and say, "Look, we're uh, we want you to rethink this thing. We we're open to uh, you know ha- giving this to you because of the emotional tie to the hundredth anniversary." Uh, I think that would change the dynamics uh, significantly. And, you know, there may be an opportunity for the Commonwealth Games people to have already had a conversation with our federal and provincial partners to say, you know, this is what they're prepared to do to host this games here in Hamilton and in Canada on behalf of the Commonwealth. Back at uh, at where it all started, uh, you know, a hundred years ago. So, uh, you know, there's many ways that this can come back to the table. Ultimately, council has to decide whether there's a benefit here that uh, that is enduring, that is worth whatever investment that's going to make. You know, folks talked a lot about the cost, and this is you know the argument we've had on the LRT piece uh, for the longest time. There's all you hear is about is a billion dollars, a billion dollars, a billion dollars in terms of cost. Uh, what people forget to talk about is the benefits, and the benefits are far greater than the billion dollars for the cost of the LRT. They're f- longer and more enduring. Uh, they are, you know, they're, they're, so so. I, 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 you need to take a longer term view. Uh, the stadium that was built for Pan Am, or for built for the Empire Loyalist Games, stood there for 100 years and served this community for 100 years. Now, you quantify the benefit of that. Uh, it has kept the football team here for uh, for the better part of that uh, time frame. And it has had great community use, and this one will continue to do the same. So those kind of legacy pieces are invaluable. And it's not just about cost, it's about benefit. Let's uh, do some phone calls, 905-645-3221, star at 9900. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is here. It's the Mayor's Town Hall, the Bill Kelly Show, 900 CHML. Tony, thank you for holding on. How are you this morning, Tony? Not too bad, Bill. How's yourself? Top of the world. Go ahead for the Mayor. Uh, Mayor, i got a couple of questions here. We have uh, a lot of people here that are not paying their taxes, and I'm referring to the 
where when Stelco was on uh, the the CCAA protection right. and uh, and there's taxes that were behind, mm-hmm. and uh, they took uh, it to the OMB so they get reduced the uh, taxes. Right. You've got Mana that's uh, millions of dollars uh, not paying taxes, but somebody in the mayor uh, in his staff says, "Oh, well, that's all right because they're paying the interest." Uh, and then you're going to have this land uh, deal that was. Uh, uh, brokered uh, because of U.S. Steel. Right. Uh, that land is going to be under the Port Authority, and there's taxes in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of tax money that's sitting in there that uh, were that companies are not uh, paying their fair share of the increase in the water and sewer and construction and all the rest of that. Mm-hmm. And us poor politi- uh, people, the populace of the city of Helmand are being squeezed like crazy but with water rates and and the, the redevelopment of uh, property outside the limits uh, in new surveys and you're putting the money out there and you're not upgrading the lower city because all that water that's being run off off of these new surveys got to go into the pipes and then the old pipes can't carry that load so uh, there's a lot of problems in there, and what are you going to do, or how are you going to get this money back into our pockets so that we can get this work done? All right, Tony, Tony I'll, I'll let you go, and I'll let the mayor answer. Yeah, I, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot there, Tony. Thank you, uh, thank you so much. So, firstly, the, uh, we, we fully expect, and, and the court decided, that uh, the back taxes owing on the U.S. Steel uh, property uh, are to be paid and uh, will be paid and I, I believe have been paid. Uh, I'll have to double check on that, but there's some $20 million outstanding that uh, was left to be paid and uh, the court ruled that that would be uh, coming to the city of Hamilton. So that's one issue. Uh, the second issue you mentioned was about reassessments and we, ha- we are seeing some significant reassessments by significant property holders. And that includes not only the industrial areas, but the malls, the Eastgate malls, Lambridge Mall, and others that are um, going to impact and getting their properties reassessed based on value, and uh, and there have been successful, and that has certainly caused a dent in our overall tax uh, tax loading. To the to, to I think the number again is something in the order of twenty million dollars per year so far in terms of the financial hit that uh, the city has taken. And people have and to so, keep in mind, though, but by the way, that these are not businesses that saying we're not going to pay this. They've appealed it, yeah, just like. You have the right to appeal, and I have the right to appeal, and they've won their appeal. Uh, correct. So, but the through, city, through the city was banking on say a million dollars from that company. Now they're going to get five hundred thousand. That's a five hundred thousand dollars shortfall that exactly, you weren't expecting. Exactly. And Times, however, many businesses are doing that. That's the that's the challenge we had last year in our our budget process to try and make that up, and we did. Uh, you know, through de- various means of uh, you know, uh, you know, some some layoffs, unfortunately, in terms of staffing to uh, kind of downsize or right size our our organization and find savings in other areas to make up that difference. Uh, and that uh, that process continues. So we uh, we expect that uh, we're probably going to see some reassessments again. And you know, when reassessments are done, they're not reassessed by the city. They're they're reassessed by a, an organization called the Municipal Property Assessment Commission that is set up by the province of Ontario to make these value judgments in terms of uh, reassessments. And they do that for all property owners, you, you know, individual property, uh, city city homeowners, as well as uh, large industrial or commercial property owners. So those are, you know, significant hits on our tax base. And, uh, you know, we have been challenged to make that up. That's the, we, we have done that without significantly increasing the tax loading for, for residential homeowners. Uh, so we, our, our tax uh, was below, actually, 
the rate of inflation uh, last year and have been for the last two or three years. So we've, we've made it up in other areas. But it continues to be an ongoing problem and, uh, you know, certainly squeezes our budgets and uh, it, it makes it much more difficult for us to do some of the work that we need to do in terms of the, the water, sewer and roads that uh, are being done, but not to the degree that we'd like to, to do them. So there's many left undone and that makes up our kind of uh, overall uh, deficit in terms of infrastructure. So uh, you, you've identified a problem, Tony. I think we're dealing with that problem on a, on a year-to-year basis based on what we might see in terms of reassessments. And so far, we've been able to manage that without making draconian changes in our, our budgeting structure. But that's uh, not going to be, uh, that, that's going to continue to be a problem, and uh, we're going to have to find creative ways of dealing with that. The other element, too, that he talked about uh, was, was the pressure that uh, developments up on the mountain are putting on lower city. Uh, now, we've had Dan McKinnon, the manager of public works on the program, and Dan's history was working in water and wastewater mm-hmm. before he did that. Uh, there are changes that have already happened that are trying to, to re- lessen that, and stormwater retention ponds and newer surveys, et cetera. And, and besides, you're not supposed to have your uh, your drain pipes hooked up to the system now anyway. So uh, that has lessened that pressure. It's 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 not perfect, but it's better than it was. Yeah, very much so. And, uh, you know, we've we've had all kinds of, uh, you know, natural natural drainage issues uh, be, be done in new subdivisions. So the new subdivisions, in fact, that are being built are much less of a strain on the water and sewer system than the old subdivisions that exist. So so the new ones have uh, have storm retention ponds and uh, ways of dealing with storm water that uh, you know old residential areas don't have. So I would say that it's actually the reverse of what you suggested, Tony, which is the new the new developments are in fact less impactful and are better designed today than uh, than the older ones were. And uh, and we have made some significant system changes that allows for that storm water to be held and captured and also treated to ensure that we're also putting out the best quality water back into the water source, uh, our our bay in Lake Ontario, so that we can, uh, you know, avoid having to uh, take in contaminated water as much as humanly possible and preserve our our natural lakes and rivers and streams. So it's a it's a complex system. We have invested hundreds and millions of dollars in partnership with the federal and provincial governments on treatment plant upgrades on uh, discharge into the harbor. The, the, the most recent upgrade is to the tune of about $200 million to deal with ammonia and phosphorus, which has been a significant problem in our harbor. Uh, once we get there, uh, we have done probably as much as we can do to uh, clean and uh, treat the um, sewage so that we, uh, we have a healthy discharge and certainly a clean fresh water to take in into the future. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left. Uh, email bkelly at 900chml.com from Salim says, all kinds of concerns about waterfront trust and money allocated, uh, not going through proper process. What can the mayor do about it? Yeah, so I'm not I'm not in line with those uh, those allegations. I know they've been a little slow in terms of recording uh, their uh, their meetings and uh, some in the past they had uh, been a, a little lax in terms of getting their financial uh, financial statements into the city of Hamilton. Uh, you know, I, I I think this notion of forensic audit, which which really denotes some criminality, I think is uh, is a little rich. Uh, I think. People have questions, and it was always the because because the waterfront trust runs independently. Uh, they've been able to uh, to do things that uh, the city otherwise might not have been able to do, or, or they've been able to do it quicker. So there's been Such great as, value. They, I've heard that before, but I don't see any examples of that. Uh, waterfront trails that uh, that have been put in place that yeah, probably yeah, would have had, taken years. You got federal money for that, though. I mean, that was that was a, money, that was a windfall. Sure, the money was there, and it was uh, it was available. It was a windfall, and and someone had to be able to get in there and actually get the work 
work done. And I think we got a lot more work done with a, that limited amount of money than we otherwise would have had it been through city processes because they tend to take longer and, and cost more money. So they've been creative, and uh, I think they've done some some really great work. They uh, they purchased uh, the uh, the Harbor Queen and got that up and running, and uh, that has now become a a, a pretty. Uh, a delightful asset in uh, in terms of uh, our harbor. Uh, they've been able to uh, to reestablish or establish the uh, the Williams Coffee Pub uh, facility and building there that is popular for many many people in our community right throughout the year in terms of getting access to our waterfront. And uh, of late, uh, we have the Sarkoa challenges that uh, you know have been ongoing. Which is, uh, you know, not uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, falls on the feet of the waterfront trust, but more on the uh, the operator that uh, they haven't been able to be uh, to 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 create a successful uh, financial environment to continue. Yeah, to, but to but move that just facility. on that point, though, I mean, there is a lawsuit pending, so I know yep. we can't delve too deeply right. into that. But there are some concerns, and I think some legitimate questions about the waterfront trust who did negotiate that lease with them about what was promised, what wasn't promised, et cetera. And, and until that's resolved, I don't think you're going to lay it all at the feet of the owners. Of no, Sarkoa. no, no, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm, not, I'm suggesting that uh, that's, that's going to be part of the litigation process, and we'll see what, uh, what comes out of that. So the bottom line for me is, you know, it, it, it may be time for us to look at the Waterfront Trust and, and, and determine whether or not, uh, since the city is infusing money into the organization, that whether or not there's, there's a, a, that, w- that we need to adjust how this uh, trust operates, uh, what kind of reporting mechanisms there are. Maybe the city ought to be the one that uh, that starts to do all of this work and uh, and we kind of uh, merge that into uh, what what is our city operation where we manage all kinds of parks and facilities right throughout the city. And I do take the Waterfront Trust's argument that this is no different than any other uh, facility in the community in terms of uh, resources and assets. The problem is that they only started with $5 million and no one has put you know new assets on the table for them to kind of do more work with. So they're, they're now looking for operating dollars on the facilities they've, they've created, and that becomes a bit of a significant challenge. So I'm not, I'm not here to defend the Waterfront Trust, uh, you know, totally and completely. I think there's some reporting issues for sure. Uh, there's, a, there's a need, I think, to look at, you know, what's the future of this trust and uh, where should it best fit and uh, where should it be most accountable uh, ultimately? And uh, I think the city might have a role to play in that. Uh, lots of questions. Uh, unfortunately, we're very out of time. We'll have to pick this one up next time around. Thanks so much, Mr. Rare, for coming in. Appreciate this. Thank you, Bill. Always. And we, I, I guess we're going to see you in a few days. We're going to be back at City Hall for the uh, 90th birthday celebration. Yeah, congratulations. You're invited. Yes. Well, it's, your, it's your house. Of course you're invited. Well, you know what? And uh, and the city of Hamilton uh, you know, and uh, CHML have been tied together for a long, long time and uh, a great way to get the information out to our broader community. So thank you, CHML. Happy anniversary, and we'll look forward to hosting you at City Hall. See you in a few days. All right. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. The uh, discussion around City Hall uh, over the last couple of weeks has been about splash pads. Now, yeah, I, I understand that we're just about into autumn here now, but... The weather has been unseasonably warm, which still has us thinking about summertime and summertime activities, and uh, the desire, I think, for an awful lot of neighborhoods right now to incorporate splash pads into their play structures. A lot of play structures are being built in some new areas and uh, being added on to existing play structures in some of the older areas of the city. It's a good thing to do, but the cost, the cost is ridiculous. Especially when you start looking at the, at the cost that, that other cities are incurring for doing the exact same sort of thing. A couple of mountain councillors have been very vocal about this, including Terry Whitehead, who is the counsel for Ward 8 up on the West Mountain. He joins us on the Bill Kelly Show. Terry, thanks for the time. Good to have you with us today. 
Uh, it's great to be with you, Bill, and your listeners. Let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, these, these, these are a great idea. Uh, I am shocked. I mean, because I, when I was on council, Terry oversaw the construction of a couple of these things in different parts of the city right now, uh, back in those days, and and the cost was reasonable, I thought, given what we were getting as a result. What has happened to these things, and why are they so expensive now? Well, uh, that's what we're trying to determine. I know that about uh, two years ago, uh, I was putting one in uh, Buchanan Park, and uh, the bill was just over closer to 600000 and uh And it just didn't uh, ring right to me. So uh, I know I had uh, Howard was working for me at the time. We did some preliminary research and, and also determined that in other cities, they were putting these splash pads with, by the way, more apparatuses. Uh, ours is utilitarian. Uh, ours is sort of basic in many cases, where some of them, like in Thunder Bay, uh, would be putting them in for 350000 with several different apparatuses when we would have three or four. So clearly uh, something wasn't jiving. And I think this is all about value for money. The taxpayers, it's not about um, putting not putting uh, splash pads in. It's a very great amenity to have in parks and, and providing quality of life for many of our residents. So that, let's be clear, this is not about not supporting splash pads. I am a big supporter of the splash pads. But let's make sure we're getting value for dollars uh, because more dollars we save, more splash pads we can put into the parks. So the question really is, what is driving the cost in the city of Hamilton relative to other communities? You know, one of the things that I talked about yesterday uh, and was somewhat, somewhat contained in the report is can we uh, buy, for example, the hard material uh, through the economy scale uh, in larger quantities so that uh, we can lower the cost? Is there benefits doing that? The second piece is it appears that we have to pay for, uh, we start at ground zero on every splash pad, meaning that from an administrative point of view, we have to do geotechnical studies, we have to do archaeological studies, we have to do uh, you've got your electrical and you have your um, design. So the question becomes, what are the most, the three most frequent designs we apply on our, on our uh, parks in respect to, uh, to splash pads? And if, that, if, if, if there's a predominant three, then why can't we, instead of starting at ground zero on design, use those three templates? Now, there may be unique circumstances, but you save money by cutting that design cost because you're using... Uh, the design template. Well, what are you doing now? Is it a different design for every every splash pad that's you being proposed? Zero. We're getting charged a design on every splash pad. It just doesn't make sense. Well, if I'm a consultant, I'm going to love working with you guys. You no, know, no question. And I, I think that's why these questions deservedly need to be asked. Uh, I think uh, at the end of the day, we may end up in the exact place we are today, but we need to be doing the due diligence. These are serious questions. And I think that whether splash pads or any other uh, uh, projects that the city enters into, uh, we have a, a fiduciary responsibility to ensure that we're getting value for every tax dollar spent. So that's what this exercise is about. We have, uh, I know Donna's done some extensive, uh, Donna Skelly, Ward 7 Councilor, has done an extensive study, credit to her, uh, where it shows many other communities putting these uh, splash pads with, again, more apparatuses than we, are, we have in ours. Uh, at lower cost. Now, are they apple-apple comparisons? Well, that's part of the research that needs to be done. I know in the Ottawa case, it appears that soft, all the soft costs were included in the $350,000 cost per splash pad. Uh, yet, uh, uh, our staff will come back and say that ours is actually 350 plus soft cost. 
so the question really is, are we getting value? And are there areas that we can streamline to lower the cost uh, for the implementation of splash pads in our great parks? But look at, when you build a park or a play structure, more specifically in a park, Terry, uh, and and you, you've overseen a number of them over in your area in the last number of years, uh, that's basically the way it works, isn't it? You don't just say, okay, guys, what do you want? The sky's the limit. We'll build it for you. Uh, you're presented with a series of options right now. Uh, uh, okay, you can have this, or maybe maybe there's some latitude about you know whether you want this kind of structure or that kind of structure, et cetera. But but there are, there are it's, it's like you want choose A, B, or C here, and 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 let's try to work on that. Uh, why aren't they doing that with splash pads instead of simply saying what do you guys feel like having? I mean, I, it's not like you're building Great Wolf Lodge here, but it just seems that every every new project here is is brand new and starting from zero, and and that's got to increase costs, you would think. Well, and that's the issue. That's the rub. So, uh, you know, uh, I think your listeners, and I think it's common sense to you, that are there costs that we can uh, address within the building of splash pads that would reduce the, uh, the, the overall uh, implementation? I believe uh, that we owe it to our taxpayers to do this due diligence, uh, to do those comparatives, and find where we can trim these costs. And I, I want to repeat this. There may be unique situations that this would have, would not apply. Well, that would be a report that comes to council and get those additional approvals. But you need to create service standards. And the service standards would determine the three uh, primary options for splash badge. Anything beyond that would have to come back to council for approval. So this would actually sharpen the pencils and lower the cost, I believe, in the construction of splash pads in our parks. How soon can you get this done? Because you're starting your budget, 2018 budget discussions, preliminary discussions already. Yeah. So I well, first of all, uh, this was just uh, there was just a, sort of a preliminary report that went to uh, Public Works yesterday. Um, but there's a, a, a further, more intensive study being done to the FNA, that's the Finance Committee, uh, that will break down further break down all costs that are incorporated in the building of uh, uh, building of slash pads. So that'll be. The chargeback, administrative costs, the design cost, electrical costs, archaeological costs, geotechnical costs. And the question, the other question I have is, where are we, is there a chance that we're doing some duplication here? I mean, in some cases in our parks, those archaeological uh, studies have already been done. So is there some duplication being uh, uh, implemented in this process and we're getting charged for it? That's so we need to peel back the, the, the layers, get to the core, and understand exactly how all these costs are incurring and ensuring uh, that we're getting value and ensuring that the costs that shouldn't be there are being eliminated. Councilor Terry Whitehead uh, on West Mountain and Ward 8. Terry, thanks so much for this. I appreciate the time today. Thank you for having me. Let's, uh, you mentioned about Donna Skelly, who, of course, is the uh, Councilor for the Central Mountain for Ward 7, uh, who pretty much did an awful lot of the spade work to get this discussion going. She joins us to uh, bring us up to speed on what's happening. Don, I appreciate you, er, your time today. Thanks for this. It's nice to be on your show. Well, let me ask you about comparators here. Um, and, and, and by the way, I want to thank your staff for sending this on to me because I know you've done a lot of research uh, about other cities, London, Mississauga, um, and Oakville among them, uh, and comparative costs right now. And and I don't know if this is an apples-to-apples comparison. I'll get your thought on that in a second. But, I mean, uh, I'm looking at Meadowgate Park in London, Ontario, uh, splash pad installed October 2015, $370,000. Uh, why is it almost double that to do the same sort of thing in Hamilton? 
I don't know, and that's one of the reasons why I've asked council, or, or rather staff, to look into this, to delve into this. There has been some pushback. We're not comparing apples to apples, but from the research that I've done, and I think if you look at the Ottawa example, uh, they actually uh, studied this this entire issue with getting value for money when they are um, building, constructing splash pads, as well as skate parks. And they came up with a number, and it was 350000 top end, uh, and that included hard and soft costs. So I'm not sure why we are spending so much. Part of the problem could be, again, going back to consulting fees. Uh, Councillor Brenda Johnson pointed out that in her area in her ward. She's building a park. She's very frustrated. They've spent over $100,000 on a consultant and they haven't started the spray pad. I brought this up when I first was elected. A great neighborhood association came forward. They just formed. They wanted a a splash pad, thought, no problem. Let's look at the cost. When I found out the true cost, uh, I've said this many times, but I was Stunned. I thought it would be maybe fifty, sixty thousand, and and we're pushing six hundred at this point. So that's when we started really looking into it. Why is it so expensive? When you build a home in the city, you can build a home for under six hundred thousand dollars and furnish it. So why is a splash pad in a park that we own that has hydro and access to water coming up at six hundred thousand dollars? I don't understand. And I and I want to have staff come back with um, you know an explanation as to why it's so expensive because if the average cost across Ontario and I've I've sent this information to you is closer to three hundred and fifty thousand and that's what it appears to be then there's something wrong we're spending money where we shouldn't be spending one of the recommendations by staff and and uh, Councillor Whitehead alluded to it was to uh, limit the number of options that we're providing residents with what they can have in their parks. And I don't think that that's unreasonable. I know that there's been pushback on that already, but I don't think it's unreasonable to say, look, we have three fabulous designs, small, medium, large. You can get them in red, yellow, or blue. This is what you get. And if that's a savings of $150,000, that's $150,000 I can put towards another project, such as East Mount School. I'm trying to create a, a, a hub. This is money coming out of the uh, ward area rating. I could divert that 150000 to another project. So really, it's value for money. So I'd really like to have an explanation as to why we can't come in at the 350000 mark. Don't forget, there are 64 splash pads in the city of Hamilton at 200000 per pad. We're talking over, you know, $12 million. Let's talk about amenities and, and the stuff that's there. An awful lot of these, especially in your ward, in Ward 7, and, and I guess for Ward 8 over where uh, Councillor Whitehead is, uh, you're, you're talking about existing residential neighborhoods or brand new residential neighborhoods. They're already serviced. As you mentioned, mm-hmm. they already have hydro. They already have water to them. So it's not as if you have to run a pipe 5,000 yards from, from someplace else. It's already there. But I'm getting the sense, and I'm, I'm questioning right now, about the amount of staff time and consultants' time that's used over these sorts of things. Uh, when you had the neighborhood design, when you had the park that the, the splash pad is supposed to go in, you already did some environmental assessment. Now, is, is, is person A the environmental assessor for parks and person B the environmental assessor for splash pads? I mean, that's redundancy. I mean, it, it just seems as if some of this work is probably being done twice, and you're being charged for it twice. 
Absolutely. When we buy a car, we don't sit down and say, let's design a, you know, a unique vehicle for each person. You go to a car lot, you pick it out, and you, you drive home. There's nothing wrong with saying to community organizations, this is what we can provide. What do you think? Where would you like it? Is the water there? Let's put it there. I think that's, otherwise we're not going to be able to continue to install splash pads. So there is only so much money to go around. We have to look at the best way of getting value for money for all residents across the city. Some municipalities are actually allowing or insisting that developers in new uh, subdivisions build the parks and splash pads themselves. And that becomes a catalyst, a, a perk to attract home buyers. And then we, as, as a council, don't tie up our staff to have to go through the process of having them built. So there are many other options that other municipalities What do you think at. of that idea? I like it, Because yeah, you know what, i got to tell you, I knew somebody when I was on council years ago that was in Calgary, uh, and that's what they did out there with new developments, with the Greenfield developments. They said, okay, uh, Mr. Developer, yeah, you get your subdivision and everything, but of course you're going to pay for the servicing, but you also have to build a rec center or a community center or an arena, something in that area. So that and that take, eases the burden, obviously, for taxpayers because that guy or that developer, that consortium, was responsible for the construction of that. The city obviously would take over the maintenance of it after, but at least the capital costs were gone. Why don't we look at something like that? I don't know. I mean, this was something brought to my attention. I thought that was really interesting, and it was it was actually a win win for both sides because, as I said, the developers could have this park and show new young families that are looking for a place to buy what their neighborhood would look like. It was uh, it was a perk. It was incentive to um, attract families to the new subdivision. And in terms of uh, taking some of the costs and burden off of city staff, it's done. We don't have to tie up staff. And yet we get, I think, better value for money. These are options we're going to have to look at. We can't keep saying we're trying to save costs and ignore some of these very big, it's almost as if we've, we've, we've fallen into a habit or a routine and we're not looking at ways of, of doing things um, better and of expanding our tax dollar. Uh, when I, as I said, when I, I, it first landed on my lap, I was really surprised at how expensive these projects are. And, uh, y you know, we can do so much more for that $600,000. If I can divert $250,000 and put it in my East Mount School so that we can build a community hub, then, then you know, it certainly is better for the residents of Ward 7. But in, in the information package that I sent to you, if you look at Thunder Bay, the um, for $350,000, the splash pad that they built is one of the nicest, in incredibly large, creative, colorful, uh, splash pad, I think, in the entire project and uh, in the package that I sent you, and it was three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And the other, pro you know, the one that Terry built, for example, had just a few features. This has a ton of features. So why is it? Why are they able to build it so much cheaper? I don't know. Great question. Uh, and and the sooner we get answers, the better. I mean, between this and your million dollar parking lots uh, up at the senior center, I don't know what's going on. Hopefully you can get some answers on this. Donna, thanks for the work you've done on this. Appreciate the time today. Thank you. That's uh, Ward 7 Councillor Donna Skelly. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.